Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. How are you guys? Good, me too, thanks. I am, I'm fine, thank you, whoever said that. I really appreciate you. But I am good. I'm going to have our students stand. We're going to bless you and send you to your classes. I know you really want to stay with me. It's okay, though. Seriously, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But uh, don't smile like that. All right, parents and and, uh, adults, it's our privilege to have our students worship with us during this uh, uh, second service, and then we bless them. So parents, adults, if you'll join me in this blessing, and and if if you're comfortable with uh, uh, raising your hand toward one of the students, if you're not uncomfortable, just do it anyway. And we're gonna bless them, okay? Because I said, okay, here we go. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And now, Lord, we pray a blessing over our students uh, as they go to their classes that you will use this time, Lord, that, that you are their Lord, that you are their King. Uh, we pray that you'd make that real in their hearts and their minds today. Thank you for those who have prepared uh, for this morning to their leaders and their teachers. Lord, bless them, we pray as well in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye, guys. So we're, um, we're continuing in our series called Celebrate Christmas. And uh, we talked about how the uh, angels celebrated, and we talked about how the shepherds celebrated, and this morning, we're going to talk about how the wise men, or the magi, celebrated the Christ. Uh, As we look at how we celebrate this season, as how we celebrate Christmas, we're we're taking a closer look at, at some of the other celebrations that that happened uh, around uh, the story, the narrative of the birth of Christ. And so this morning, we, we come to the wise men. It's, uh, uh, it's written, it's recorded in Matthew, the second chapter. That's the only place that it's recorded in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew was one of the apostles, sometimes known as Levi. He was a tax collector. Uh, and so if you've done any study at all, you'll know that tax collectors were uh, despised. Uh, they were considered uh, traitors uh, by the Jews, that they, they worked for the Romans, they charged exorbitant taxes, and they skimmed off the top and became wealthy and powerful people. Matthew comes from, from that occupation, uh, and, and so his particular writing were to Jewish Christians, uh, particularly Jewish Christians who had been dispersed uh, all over the place, and he's writing them to remind them uh, of the story. Now, Mary would have been one of his sources, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know, we read in, in Luke, the second chapter, that Mary treasured all the things that had happened, and she pondered them uh, in her heart. And so she would have shared these stories with Jesus' closest friends, and Matthew would have been one of those, and he records for us this story uh, about the birth of Christ, and particularly the story of the wise men or the magi. So we're going to read the first couple of verses as we start this story. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
So that's the beginning of the story. Uh, the wise men come and, and they ask, where is he who's been born uh, king of, of the Jews? Because uh, we saw his star uh, when it rose and we have come to worship him. So now anyone reading this account, anyone reading Matthew's uh, story closely will notice immediately that certain details that we've all taken for granted are missing here. So what's wrong with Matthew, right? No, what's wrong with us? It says that, that, that first of all, you'll notice that there are no camels in this story. Uh, that there's nowhere is it recorded that the wise men rode in on camels. In fact, in this first century, if they were people of means, they were probably already traveling by horse and they would use camels as pack animals, but they would travel on horseback. Uh, another thing that you might notice is that the, the wise men are not named Caspar, Balthazar, or Melchior. Uh, the text never mentions any names. Uh, the text does not say that there are only three of them. Matthew doesn't even hint that the wise men are kings, and he doesn't say they come from Persia, India, China, or Africa. In fact, uh, all he says is that they've come from the east. And finally, uh, the popular idea, reinforced by millions of manger scenes, is that the wise men were not at the manger with the shepherds on the night that Christ was born. Um, in fact, as we look at the story a little bit later, we'll see that they probably came sometime after when Jesus was no longer uh, in a stable, but actually they had moved into a house. So we've added to the story. I don't know why we feel like we need to embellish the story. I don't know why we feel like the story needs to get added. Is it not a good enough story just as it stands? But if you read the story, um, there's a lot of things that we take for granted, a lot of things that we assume that just aren't in the text. And part of this is to help us to understand that this really happened, that this is really a true story, that Matthew doesn't need to embellish it because people would have known uh, that he was writing to, would have known about Jesus, would have known uh, the accounts, and he's just giving us, here's what happened. Here's the basics uh, of what happened. There's another thing that you need to know about the Magi is that many scholars refuse to use the term wise men or Magi referring when they refer to them because they didn't think they were very wise. In fact, it's recorded in the book of Daniel, the second chapter, verses 27 and 28, when, when Daniel had been called in by Nebuchadnezzar because he had had a dream that scared him and all of his wise men, his magi, his astrologers, his scientists, he brought them all together and no one could help him, no one could give him a meaning of this dream. And it says, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, no magi, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions uh, of your head as you lay on your bed are these. And then he explained uh, what God had, had told Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. Now later in Acts, the New Testament, in Acts the ch chapter 13, verse 6, it says, referring to the disciples, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a magi, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So we have references to these wise men, uh, these magicians, uh, and, 
and astrologers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and, and because uh, they weren't infallible and because uh, what they said wasn't always true, that they were, con- they were considered false teachers and they wouldn't even use, many scholars wouldn't use the name wise men when they referred to them. So if, if Matthew put them in his narrative, if Matthew put him in his book, the only reason that he had to do that is because it's true. He would have never mentioned these guys if it wasn't true because they weren't acceptable characters. They weren't acceptable witnesses, but he wants us to understand. He wants us to know that it's part of the larger story. It's part of the larger narrative. So he places this uh, in his story, in his gospel. He wants us to understand. Now, here's the thing. God's greatest joy uh, is to reveal his glory to his people, that God wants us to see his glory. God wants us to know him. We just finished 11 chapters in the book of Genesis, and one of the things, the big lesson that we learned is that God wants a relationship with us. He desires a relationship, and when we see his glory, it draws us to him. It draws us into relationships, and and so God wants us to see his glory, and he wants the nations to see his glory and to glorify him Uh, in return. That's God's overarching uh, agenda. He's so intent on that that when somebody doesn't come through, when somebody doesn't offer him glory, he will go someplace else. He'll find someone else. When when the religious leaders and, and prophets and the people that are supposed to know don't bring glory to him, don't offer his glory, then he goes to the shepherds. Uh, He goes to to men who come from the east, who travel to see, because of a star, to see the Christ child, that when his people don't reveal his glory, he will find some other way. He'll find somebody else to reveal his glory. And this is the story that we have, not only with the shepherds, but with the wise men. He's so intent on revealing his glory that if we won't go to the kings of the earth, like I said, or the magi, uh, who may or may not had royal descent, but if we won't listen to them, he will go to somebody else. If, if his people, if his uh, leaders, if his uh, people who have grown up in his teaching won't acknowledge him, he will find somebody else. Now, there are many ways to, there, how many ways to God are there? It's not a trick question. You grew up in the church, right? How many, yeah, how many ways, through, only through Christ? How do you get to God? You get to God through Jesus. He's the only way, the only name in heaven and on earth uh, that can get you to God is Jesus Christ. And how many ways are there to Jesus? How, how many people are there? We all kind of come to Jesus from, in different ways, from different experiences, uh, uh, from different things that have happened to us in, in our lives, different messages that we've heard. Um, but God has calls us to himself. Jesus is using all kinds of hints and glints to draw people to himself. And that's the story of the Magi. Here's that God would prefer if his people told the story. God would prefer if his people would be the light. Uh, and, but God wants us to see his light. God wants the world to be aware of his glory, of his light. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, 
Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So God intends on you to be the star of Bethlehem. He intends for you to be the star that shines so that the world can see him, so that the world can see his glory, so that the world can find their way to Jesus by our lives, by our witness, by how we live our lives, by our faithfulness to God, by, by who we are, we are the ones that God intends. But when we don't do it, when we refuse, God finds another way. He'll use another vehicle. He'll do something different. And people are looking for the light. They're looking everywhere. They're reading their horoscope. They're, they're chasing after all kinds of things. They're trying to find the light. They're trying to find some kind of meaning, some kind of fulfillment in their lives. And God is saying, I want you to be the star that they see. I want your life to be the place that directs them to him. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you are a city set on a hill. He says you're the light of the world, that people see your light and they know, they'll know your Father who is in heaven, that we are a beacon that draws people to Christ. And when we don't do it, God says, I'm gonna find somebody else. I'll find shepherds. I'll find the magi. I'll do something different. So the wise men, the magi, come into Jerusalem and you can imagine the scene. Uh, they come to Jerusalem and the first thing that they do, they don't go straight to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem because they're foreigners visiting a country. So they go to the capital to make it known that, they've, that they're there and, and, and to get permission to find, yes, they did ask for directions, guys. I just want to ladies or whoever cares about that. They did stop and ask for directions. They, they go to Jerusalem, they find their way to Herod and they ask, how do we find this king? How do we find the child who is born? because we want to find him so that we can worship him. Matthew 2, verse 3 says this, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, so, um, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, this is out of the book of Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Now, what's really interesting is that the Magi go to Jerusalem and in their naivety, they assume that this is good news for everybody. That who wouldn't want to know that the Messiah has been born? Who wouldn't want that information that the Christ has come, that after all these centuries, God has kept his promise and he has sent his son into the world? Who wouldn't want that information? Who wouldn't want to be told that? Um, and so they, they think that everybody is interested. They think that church people would want to know that that church people would be interested in, in that. And what they find is a, is a blank stare. What they find is Herod not seeming to understand what they're really talking about. They think that the people who have held this prophecy for all these years, who've cherished the hope for centuries, are actually going to be excited that this thing has happened. How simple-minded of them. They think that after all these years of information and knowledge, that they would be excited, that everyone would want to go. They forgot that something 
happens in the hearts of people when they know the truth that they sometimes become arrogant or they become complacent or they become bored or maybe after all of these years they've just given up on the hope that the Christ will come. They've stopped looking at the prophecies. They've stopped looking at the stories because they don't believe anymore that this will happen and somebody like the Magi comes, somebody like the wise men and say, we've seen the star and we've come to worship the Christ and they haven't been looking for him anymore. They haven't been paying attention. They have all of the information that you could ever want, but they haven't been looking for the Christ. I don't know, but that kind of looks like us sometimes. That we have all of the information that you could ever want about Christ. We, we've been told the stories, we've read the stories, um, you know, we've, we've heard them all of our lives, but somehow we become detached to the reality of the stories, that somehow we have, uh, we've kind of inoculated ourselves to the truth of, that the Christ, the Savior of the world, has been born, and we are on the verge of missing the power of that and the truth of it because we're so used to the stories that the birth of Jesus is, is like talking about Santa Claus now, that there's no power in it for us. Maybe we've gotten too used to the story. Maybe we don't wanna, we, you know, maybe if we really believe it, if we really believe that it's true, if we believe that Christ, the Christ really came, if we were really to say, I, I'm, I believe that with all of my heart, it would change my heart. It would change how I live my life. It would, it would change what I, how I think and, and it would change what I do and, and it would require change in my life. And if you don't want to change your life, it's easier just to ignore the story, isn't it? It's easier just to try to forget that it, that it happened. Something happens in our hearts. The king has come and, and we would rather say, stop bothering me, I'm, I'm trying to shop. It's Christmas season. I've got things to buy. I've got to hang lights. I've got a tree. I've got... I've got cookies to make, you know, I, I, I've got a huge wait list on Amazon. I've got all of this stuff that I need to take care of. Don't bother me with this story. Don't bother me with the Christ child. I've got to take care of Christmas. This is a big deal, right? And we've gotten so busy and so consumed uh, with the list of, for Christmas that we forgot that it's about the Christ. And, and the Magi have come to remind us what we are celebrating, that they have come to remind us of what this is all about. And, and as their story intersects with our story, it's kind of a rebuke for us because we've become so accustomed to the story that we're more like the, the religious people, we're more like the Hebrews of the day, that, that we, we've stopped paying attention to how remarkable the story of Jesus really is. So there's a couple of groups of people that I want us to take a quick look at this morning in the story. And, and the first group of people are the, the, the religious people, the wise men of Herod's court. Uh, when the wise men come, the magi come and they say, where is the king uh, of yours? Do you know where he is? Uh, they know right away. They know chapter and verse. They don't even have to say, give us a few weeks and, and we'll work on it. They, they've known it for their whole lives and they say, well, of course, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem. That's the, that's the town, that's the place. The prophet said it long ago. We've studied this, we've preached it. We've done Bible studies on it. We've written articles on it. I'm actually writing a book on it right now. Uh, that's where he's gonna come from. And they had all of the information, but they did nothing. 
the Magi who are steeped in paganism, who come from outside, they've come because they have a hunch, because they've seen a star. The religious leaders are steeped in the truth, but what do they do with the truth? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Magi have been on a trip. They have come searching for the Christ. The religious leaders have six miles to travel and they can't be bothered to go and see this one who's been prophesied. The, the, the Magi, we don't know how far they traveled. You know, the, 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 the story gets embellished and they traveled months and months and hundreds of miles and it may have been as, as short as 300 miles. It may have taken them all of, you know, five or six days, but they got there. The, the religious elite, the ones who had known the story all of their lives, they're six miles away and they can't get themselves there. They don't go. Here's the truth. God doesn't so much reward the knowledge in your head as the hunger in your heart. I probably should repeat that, right? God doesn't so much reward the knowledge in your head as the hunger in your heart that gnawing hunger that we have for something that's deeper, something that's more real, something that really matters. That's what God looks for. That's what God rewards. You can have all of the knowledge uh, in the world and it's meaningless. Having all the information doesn't guarantee transformation. It's only when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, when we, by faith, turn our lives over to him that real transformation happens. Sometimes we have so much information that it becomes about the information and it has a hard time traveling from our head into our heart. It doesn't transform our lives because we think that we keep score by how much we know. In reality, we don't know as much as we think, right? We need to read the story again. We need to read the story of the Magi again. There's an interesting thing that the religious leaders that, that Herod called, they still may have been alive when Jesus started his ministry. You know, maybe 30 years later, some of them had died, but some of them were still alive. Some of them had, had been there. Some of them recognized that they may have missed the opportunity from the very beginning to meet the Christ, to, be, to, to know the Christ. Uh, and this is what Jesus says to the religious leaders. He says, you diligently study the scripture because you think, but by them you possess eternal life. He says, you diligently study the scripture because you think through the scripture you get a leg up you know more than other people, that you can buy eternal life by how much you know. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Bible knowledge is fantastic, but if it isn't getting you to Jesus, then it's dangerous. So the one group in this story that appears to have the truth misses Christ, and the other group, the Magi who just simply have a hunch, see a star, and want desperately to find out if this is the truth. They meet Jesus. And then there's another person in the story, and it's Herod. Um, <laughs> he's not gonna rattle off uh, chapter and verse. He's, he's Herod the Great. Um, <clears throat> in fact, he's Herod the Great because he decided to call himself the Great, that that's not really his name, his parents didn't name him Herod the Great. Um, he, was, uh, he decided he needed a nickname, and the best nickname he thought of was, I'll be Herod the Great, so it means the great king. And so he labeled himself 
Herod the Great. And, and so when the, the wise men came and said, where is the Messiah to be born? Herod didn't have to memorize because he had people to do that for him, right? He had people to read stuff and to memorize things for him. So he calls all of his wise people. He calls all of his religious leaders. He calls his scientists and his astrologers and his magicians. And he says, tell us. And they all knew because they had heard it all of their lives. But Herod doesn't need to know it. Uh, but Herod uh, has positioned himself uh, as the great king. He lived high, uh, he lived big, uh, he was notorious for his pagan ways, he set up idols and shrines to everybody's God. He was, he was notorious for his murderous imp impulses. By now he had killed his mother, he had killed two of his sons, uh, he had killed his father-in-law, he had had numerous people murdered because they, he thought they were a threat to his throne. He was so paranoid about his power, he was so paranoid about his position that if he got a hint that you might be a threat to his position, if he got a hint that you might be a threat to his power, it was easier just to have you killed than to do, uh, to do anything else. And so that was Herod. Herod the Great uh, had anybody that threatened his throne murdered. And so he tells the, the Magi, he tells the wise men, yeah, you guys go. And, and you find this baby, you find this child, and then let me know. Come back secretly, because I want to go, and, and, and I want to worship him too. But what Herod really wants, and what we find out later on, is that he wants to eliminate any threat to his throne. He wants to eliminate anyone that might challenge his position, challenge his leadership, and this is the story of the religious leaders, the, the, the senior pastors all over, um, all over Israel. Uh, they have all the knowledge, but they miss Jesus. And then Herod, who calls himself great, he has all the information. He has those religious leaders who know everything, but he's so intent on his power, he's so consumed by his position that he doesn't want anything to do with Christ. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus because Jesus would be a threat to his position. And the second rebuke, the one about Herod, it kind of rings home to us too. None of us have probably ever thought about killing the Christ child, but here's what we know and here's the indictment on us is that the throne of Herod was clearly not a love seat. It didn't fit two. There was only room for one on Herod's throne. And anyone that threatened that was going to get murdered. Anyone that threatened that was gonna get removed. And what the scripture talks to us about is that there's a throne in our lives and it only fits one. And if we try to, uh, and we try to fill that throne, it never works. When we try to be the one that sits on the throne in our heart, it never works. Here's what we do sometimes: is that we kind of, we kind of say, "Okay, Lord, here's the, here's, here's the deal. Um, I've got, I, I, I want you on the throne of my life. Except, there are just a couple of times that I'm, I, that it's mine. Okay." There's just a few things in my life that, that I really want to be in charge of, that I really want to make sure that happens. They're going to bring me some, that I think will bring me happiness. Or, or maybe it's just a time when I just say to you, God, I've got this one, okay? I can handle this one. I'll take it. And, and I'm going to be on the throne in my life. And we all have a little bit of Herod in us because there are moments in our lives when we don't want Christ on the throne. 
That, that's responsibility, that's humbling, uh, that's giving our lives over, and, and we just kinda, we kinda think we can do it better, we, we kinda think it's our place, or, and maybe there's just, there are times when we say, okay, Lord, I want you in the throne, all of these times, except here, that I've got it here, and we demand the control at those points. And the story of the Magi and the story of Herod and the religious leaders tells us that there's never a time that it's okay. There's never a moment in your life that you can run your life better than God can. That you have more control, that you have more power, that you have more wisdom than God does. And, and we've talked about this before. It's, it's, if we really think about it, it's a little embarrassing how arrogant we can be. It's a little embarrassing how foolish that we can be that we would actually say, Lord, I've got this one. I can do this one. I, I, I think I know more about this one than you do. The God who created everything, the God who gave you life, the God who hung the sun in exactly the right position so that it keeps the earth uh, at the right temperature so that we don't freeze to death or we don't burn up, that that God that we know more than he does, the, the one that hung the stars, the one that's created all things and all the animals and everything on heaven and on earth, that we would actually think, I can do this one, God. I don't need you for this one. There's only room for one on the throne of our lives. And this reminds us that it's gotta be God, that it needs to be Jesus in our lives, that we're being challenged with that, and I'm, I'm stunned by how many people in the church will make bad decisions, and as I listen to their stories, I find that there's a, a sense of somehow I'm the exception here, that Jesus isn't on the throne on this one, that I'm stunned by how low uh, level of giving there is sometimes in the American church, or how I'm stunned by how much we've said to Jesus, I, I'm the Lord of this, thank you, I'll call you if I need you. I'm gonna try this one on my own, and, and if I need some help, I'll let you know, God rather than giving our lives over to him. And then when it's all done, we try to take charge again. There's something about Herod is that he, he got this. For all of his depravity, for all of his malice, for all of the narrowness and bitterness and paranoia, the guy got it. He understood that you can't be both the king and have him as the king, and his response to that was get rid of the child. Get rid of the child. Matthew 2, verses 9 through 12 read like this. After listening to the king, they, referring to the wise men, went on their way, and behold, the star uh, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the child, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw that the child, uh, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country uh, by another way. So here we have uh, a little bit of, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy when they saw that it was true, and here's the place, we finally found it, we finally gotten there, uh, they rejoiced. And so do you wanna know how the wise men celebrated the birth of Jesus? You wanna know how the wise men did it, uh, what the celebrating Jesus looked like? Well, it tells us right in the narrative, it tells us right in the story, it says that they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. 
the, the magi, the wise men, that who had come all of that way, when, when they are face to face with Jesus, who they say they went to his house, he's no longer in the, st- the, the stable, but they've moved into a house. He's, he's maybe even a toddler. The word child in this particular verse refers to a, a young child, maybe a toddler, uh, that, that when they saw Jesus, it says they fell down and worshiped him. How embarrassing. They're the wise men. We, we think of them as kings from the east. We have all, we've embellished this story. And, and here's what the truth is when they saw Jesus, what did they do? They fell down and worshiped him. That's, that's humiliating. Didn't they know better? They're, they're important guys. They're gonna be in the Bible. We're gonna be reading about them in 2,000 years and the best they can do is fall down and worship Jesus, that is so awkward. Who would ever do that? We come to church every week, and if we get really moved, we might just kind of do the fake raise your hand because we're so consumed with who's sitting next to us. We're so worried about being embarrassed by the people around us that, that we aren't going to do anything to draw attention to ourselves. We're not going to do anything that might people, make people feel like this is really moving me, that this is really changing me, that this is transforming me. So we might just do the old fake, raise your hand a little bit, or just do something, and we'll, you look worse. I, trust me, I can see you. But we're so caught up in what other people think. We're so caught up in in what other people might think of us that we worry more about what other people would think of us than who Jesus is. The wise men didn't care who saw them. They came face to face with Jesus the Christ and they fell on their face and worshiped him. So here's the question, right? When was the last time you fell on your face and worshiped Jesus? Larry, that is so awkward that you're asking that. That is so weird. Who would do that? The wise men, they did it. It wasn't awkward for them. It wasn't weird for them. It wasn't fanatical for them. They weren't worried about what other people might say. They weren't aware of what history might do. They saw Jesus and they fell on their face and they worshiped him. And we are so caught up in in all of the other stuff. We're so caught up in in how we might look that we're just saying, you know, I, I I can't do that. I don't need that. I'm not gonna fall on my face and worship anybody. That would be awkward. What would people think they think I'm crazy that's too embarrassing who would be who would be that crazy to to do something like that and we are we might miss Jesus because we're too caught up in in how it might look to somebody else we're too caught up in our version of the story to worry about to 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 do something that might make us look bad or or make us look awkward or or feel awkward and we miss the celebration of Jesus because it might embarrass us. Oh, oh my goodness. Does Jesus embarrass you? The, here's, the, here's, the, here's the truth about Jesus, okay? He, he, was, he lived in glory. He's the creator of the universe, and he poured himself into a baby's body and was born in a manger in obscurity, in poverty, 
he, was, he lived in an occupied country. He had nothing that we have. He gave up everything because he loved us and was allowed himself not to just be humble, but allowed himself to be humiliated for our sake. And we worry about what other people might think. We worry about what we might look like. We worry about all of those things when, the, when Jesus didn't, when he gave all of that up for our sake. And, and we, we, we want to look dignified and important and, and acceptable and all of those things. I, I, I'm not preaching a sermon on falling on your face and worshiping Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to challenge us to make Jesus the center of our lives and not what other people might think and, and not about our own security and our own position and all of those things, but for us to get in touch with the fact that Christ loves us so much that he came down from heaven and he was born in a manger and he showed us how to live and then he was willing to die on a cross for us and he says, now I want you to see me and I want you to be my light in a world that's lost, in a world that's dark. I want you to be the ones that people can see and look at your life and find their way to me because of who you are. That's what I'm looking for now. That's what it looks like to fall on our face and worship him, to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want you more than anything else. I want people to see you more than anything else. And I want, to, I want to get rid of all the stuff around me. It doesn't mean we don't buy gifts. It doesn't mean we don't celebrate Christmas. It just means we celebrate Christ first. We celebrate the Christ. He is real. He is living. He is changing lives. He's miraculous. He loves you more than you can imagine. I'll tell you how much he loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And that is really big. That's really hard to do, isn't it? That's how much he loves you. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And he still loves you. He knows all of the deep, dark things in our lives and he still loves us. And he still wants to transform us. And so this Christmas, this Christmas, maybe the challenge for us as we think about how am I gonna celebrate Jesus this Christmas? How am I gonna celebrate him? What would it mean for me to fall on my face and worship him? What would that look like in my life? Where, where is he asking me to be all in? Where is he asking me not to worry about what I look like to other people, but that I, what matters is what he, I look like to him? What matters is if I, come into, if, if I come into relationship with the Jesus who loves me, who gave himself for me. That's what really matters. That's the challenge for us. And, and so this morning, this is what I want us to pray about and consider. Is, what does it mean in your life to celebrate Jesus? What does it mean in your life to celebrate the King? What would it look like in your life to fall down and to worship him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the wise men, and they truly were wise. They were wise enough to, to follow the star and to stick with it until they got to you. And Lord, you have given us your light. You've given us yourself. Uh, you've allowed us to see you. Lord, Lord, now give us the humility and the courage. Lord, to come before you, to get close, Lord, to touch you, uh, to worship you, Lord. Teach us what it means to celebrate Christmas. 
to celebrate your birth, to celebrate you, Lord. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Thanks, Alyssa. I didn't get to the part in the story where the, or to explain the gold and frankincense and myrrh, you know, because we can give you details about that and why gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so let me, let me just give you the, uh, the lead on it, all right? Uh, what Jesus really wants isn't your gold and frankincense and myrrh. What he really wants is you. That's really the hot tip this morning, right? That's the story. That those were great gifts and appropriate gifts that the wise men brought. But what Jesus is really interested in this Christmas is you. So that's our prayer. How will you celebrate Christmas uh, this year? What Jesus is really looking for is your whole life. He wants you to be all in for his kingdom, for his glory, so that you might be a star that shines for people who so desperately need to see and need to find Jesus. Um, that's how I'm gonna pray for us. Um, I also wanna mention our prayer partners. Will, it will be in the corner if you'd like prayer this morning. Stop by there. Uh, I'd love to pray with you. And also our prayer table, you can write your prayer requests. And uh, if you're just visiting, uh, you, can, you, can record a, you can put a prayer request on that. We'd love to pray for you too. Uh, it's not just for regulars, but it's for uh, anybody that's here this morning because it's our privilege to, to pray uh, for those needs and to pray for you. So again, my prayer is that we will see the Christ, that we will see Jesus this Christmas, that we'll know that the gift that he wants is the gift of our hearts and our minds and our whole life. I love you guys. I hope you have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.